Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crime Library. This is another true crime podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sarah. And I'm Jesse. In this episode, we're going to be continuing on with I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yeah, so just a warning that this podcast contains graphic material that may not be suitable for every listener. Yes. Yeah, so last last episode, we just really started the talking about the book and we were getting into uh, his crimes that he committed. We did um, part one, which is more focused on the victims, I think. And part two is more about the detective side, the detective. Yeah, we saw his attacks and now we're getting to see them trying to more hardcore figure out who this guy is. So part two, we are back in Sacramento. Yes. We're starting in Sacramento, and we are getting more of the community around Michelle as she starts to write this. Well, when she writes her article and when she writes this book. So we meet a social worker, and we learn about the online armchair detectives. How do you feel about that? I think, I don't know if like double-edged sword is the right term, but I feel like it may be like, I think that it could be very good because these people aren't as close to the case as a detective might be. So they may be seeing a side of it that- fresh eyes. Exactly. Exactly. More unbiased sometimes, but then that's what I was going to get into the other side of it. They might have more biases- based on some of these facts that they're finding, it could be a blessing and a curse. Right. Like don't F with cats about how they took it yes. to a whole new level. And then to a whole extreme. They helped solve it, obviously, but in other ways, they like they went so far as to target one guy and then he committed suicide. Now, is that to say that that's on them? Not entirely. It was his actions and his choice, but it can become a very like weird environment. Like, oh, for sure. If that's the best, but no, I think, and it helped Michelle. It kind of did for Michelle what Michelle did for the investigation. It kind of got her into it and got her like thinking about it and gave her people to bounce ideas off of. And, you know, kind of it's how she got hooked up with Paul Haynes, who eventually ends up moving out to California to focus with on the book with her like the research assistant on the book and then eventually because of everything that happens ends up writing last part of the book with billy jensen so blessing and a curse i guess and i just think too just it is nice to be in a community where people understand you and i'm sure that a lot of those people like michelle and paul formed a relationship and a bond and a friendship and right the internet can bring nice things to people yeah, but it talks about, too, this section talks about the dangers of, of being too involved in it. This is where you get, like, where she talks about the terror of, like, I think Patton came in, right? And she tried to hit him with a lamp or something because she was scared all the time. Her, like, even when just, she was just, oh, like, like, always jumpy. Yeah, always jittery. She was getting in too deep with it. Obviously, she was using medication to cope with that. But yeah, yeah, it talks about it gives you kind of a weird balance of um, really pushing for answers, but also how far is too far. I like that dynamic, I guess. I think that's something important to remember just being into true crime in general is to be mindful of how obsessed you might become. Because I know sometimes if that's all I'm watching and then I listen to other podcasts, it it gets in your head. Yeah. So especially these. (laughs) You reading the book when you were home by yourself. Yeah, I was home by myself. (laughs) and finishing the book and all I could think of this man is caught he's not even near me but all I was thinking that he was going to break into my house and it yeah exactly it gets to you right so I just think it's something to be mindful just in general do positive things just outside of true crime so you don't go too crazy and I think be mindful of what you're saying too because sometimes you could just say shit and the victims or the victims families or you know, people who are accused but not guilty. Yeah. There's a whole weightiness to accusations and things said. So yeah. uh, since we're talking about community, let's talk about the culture in East Sacramento around the time that he was going through his raping crime spree, right. for lack of a better term. And it talks about how people reacted to him, how they reacted to yeah. others who they thought may be in danger. And everything kind of shifted based on what they knew about him. And it, it's interesting to see how his crimes dictated everyone, even if they weren't victims of it. They're now locking their doors right. and not being able to sleep. And if they hear a noise outside, they try and push it away yeah. more than you would. 
Right. It caused a huge panic and rightfully so. I I can't imagine living through something like that. No. Being afraid every night, especially because at first it was just him attacking single females. Mm -hmm. And then he eventually upped the ante, so to speak, and moved on to couples. And, you know, couples probably felt safe at first. Now all of a sudden, everyone has to be fearful. There was no rhyme or reason for any of it. If he just was just a panic. And she writes how people, when they knew, the moment they knew that he was actually in their bedroom, they instantly started reacting different based on what the stories they had heard from other attacks, like going into preservation right. mode. And I thought that was scary, but interesting. Yeah. Right, because by then they had already heard a lot of stories. And he said he likes to just, he gets off on the fear of it, which reminds me that, okay, so when you watch the docuseries, which I'm never going to do again before, I didn't know we were doing this, so I wouldn't have <laughs> made it, but when you watch Definitely. the docuseries, they play a tape that he, a recording that he left for one of his victims, which is the creepiest shit I have ever heard in my life. Like, I can't, I don't think if I watched it again, I'd play that part. I would skip right over it oh really yeah but apparently he did when i was looking up um details on him for later apparently he did that a ton it's only mentioned briefly in the book and it's really only mentioned briefly the time that they play the tape in the docuseries but he just continued to do it to people to like years later he would remember that was a one call remember oh yeah that's right in like 2001 or something he just liked to drag that shit out he liked the prep of it he liked everything he did to make it torturous and awful while doing it and then he liked the after effect the effect it had on the community effect it had on people yeah and And i think that can be really like proven almost in how his crimes advanced because as we know now he was also the Visalia ransacker he really just started breaking into people's homes and just you know ransacking he didn't really go into harming people just then and then as he became more comfortable doing that then eventually he started raping women and then he started raping women and attacking their husbands boyfriends partners right then eventually started murdering these people and i think that just shows that i think he kind of would see how how these people Exactly. Yeah. And the amount of fear he could, because it was all like, kind of of like babies. Exactly. The high wasn't quite enough. And then he had to take it to the next step. And I think the fear that each step that came, the fear that came from it was bigger each time, because obviously people don't want to be burglarized, but I'd rather be burglarized than raped. And then raping and murdering, like each thing caused more fear for the communities. So I think, I think that he liked that too. That's smart. I never thought of it that way. And it reminds me of the way you describe it reminds me of, remember when we were talking about that? I don't remember which drug it was, heroin or meth or whatever, that the once you do it, it changes your brain chemistry instantly. I wonder if it's like that, that like hit that he got off of it changed it. And then it was. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it can be compared to it. I obviously have never tried any of those things I so i wouldn't know but what his brain looks like if your brain looks different when you experience that kind of thing like i'm sure your brain looks different on drugs right like yeah after you at die least according to all those commercials yeah, this is your brain this is your brain so according to those commercials they do <laughs> that's such a stupid i i remember do you remember the one where the sister is sitting on the couch with the brother and the sister is like a weird, like, oh, paper, like, origami? Yes, yes, yes. What? That was just, as a kid, yeah. I was like, what does that even mean? I don't understand what you're trying to say. If you do drugs, you'll become paper? You'll become paper? <laughs> That's I'll be flat? Really cool. Like, don't I might kids. like that. I could slide under doors or something. Like, <laughs> Get better drug advertisements, like. But maybe we should just go to Harvard and get our PhDs in, I don't know, neuro studies or something. I cheated and then my then way through science and math class, every single one of them. English and history, I could pass without blinking. Science and math, I had to cheat, and I could not make it <laughs> through Harvard. I don't have enough money. But how money. are we going to be experts if we're not doctors? I don't on have enough money to pay someone to cheat my way through Harvard. I just don't. And if I did oh. have that money, I would just buy a lot of books. <laughs> so it wouldn't, even be, <laughs> it wouldn't even be worth it. <laughs> so 
I, what I thought was interesting is when we were in East Sacramento, we we're talking about the community and the fear and all that it kind of yeah. evokes. Michelle then mirrors it a little while later when she's talking about her house and her community <gasps> oh, when yes. the neighbor had a break in. Right. Says, uh, the neighbor had the break in. Could have been her house because they were kind of casing her house. And she says, um, well, the neighbor had the break in and then came over to talk about it. And they, her, Pat, and then the neighbor sat down to talk about it. And they kind of all made like a promise that they'll look out for each other, which is natural, I think, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll take care of each other. We'll come together as a community. But one thing that she wrote that I highlighted, which I thought was so good, she wrote, that's what we do, all of us. We make well-intentioned promises of protection we can't always keep. I'll look out for you. But your instinct is to say, of course I'll help you. Of course I'll be there for you. But then right. it comes down to it. I think it really is a, I don't want to go out there because what if I get shot or if I get mm-hmm. like, yeah. So I mean, yeah. bravo to those fucking people who charge you into situations like it's nobody's business. Yeah, but I think exactly. Basically all humans have a-, a Oh, definitely. Protective. I would sit here and would love to think that if I heard something happening, I would react and try to help right but right. i know you, there's so many right do the react in the right way and do right. the right thing but i know there's so many people who when they're actually in that situation don't do what they think they would and not saying anything bad on them i no. think it's just i think it's kind of you know a- oh i don't I don't know what's happening. Oh, they could just be fighting. You also don't they, want to like, think like the worst case. You don't right, want to exactly. sound is someone being murdered or something. You want to just think, like she said, your mind goes to like teenagers playing around. Right. Not only do you want to protect yourself, you kind of want to protect your community too and be like, it's okay. Yeah. Be okay. Right. That's so true. I'm like, why am I going to waste the cop's time when it probably just kids There's like playing. a weird level of embarrassment if you do call yeah. cops and it's nothing. But when we think about it, just call the fucking cop. Even Sometimes. if you think it's nothing. I know. I know. <laughs> I wish that we might had not be the best thing to say right now. <laughs> I know. But I wish we had. Okay. So this is in my puppy dog dream. I wish we had a system where you could call someplace and what you needed was then provided for you without fear for your life yeah. so that's what i'm saying i would like yes. that to be the dream yes so amen in situations we could call and whatever we needed from that system we could get someone to just yes. come check out a noise just check it out uh, uh, but in a perfect world you are absolutely right then i think michelle does something that literally every true crime person thinks they would want to do, but I don't know that we could all handle it. She goes on basically like a crime tour with Paul Holes. Oh, yeah, with Paul Holes, And this section of the book is what I think her book would be if she had got to finish it. Her descriptions are so well thought out. Her interactions with Paul are put beautifully. Everything is great. And we get to see like her writing of it and then we get the transcripts of it and you can see the difference. So I thought that was, I understand why they did that and she didn't finish it, but it also allowed you to see her writing actually happening for what was actually happening, how she took this, the situation with him, recorded it and then made it into a story. A beautifully written one at that. I know it makes me so fucking sad that she didn't get to finish writing her book, but I love the pieces that we have of her writing. I agree. So you said you wouldn't. I don't know if that I could. You said it's something you dream of, but don't know if you'd actually be able to. Like, why do you think that? Uh, Because we have this conversation. I can't live in a house if I think someone's died in it. Even if everyone tells me no, nothing's, if it's old enough for someone to possibly have died in, I'm not having that fucking house. Nick is always like, we could get it for real cheap. It'll be real good. He does not mind living in a haunted house but in my head everything is freaking haunted when it's attached to yeah. like something that, that that horrible creates negativity and like in that moment I have what if it's not always like negative though no I'm sometimes people just pass away okay with this i mean i don't care i wouldn't live in a house where someone peacefully passes away either nope not that, doing okay it. that's that's that but but this. in this instance yeah that yes like that completely creates- such a, even if a murder didn't happen, even if he's just taking her to where the rapes happen, which he he is, then something like that still, I think that moment in time creates such negativeness and energy around it. I don't know that I could stand in that space and not feel those feelings. But I, think I agree. I think it would be so heavy. Yeah. But I think to understand this case more... I think that's why I, we're blessed to have people like Michelle who can do that and yeah. feel that, but... In the end, look at what it cost her, you know? Yeah. 
She was feeling those things. She was empathizing with everyone, including the killer. It's it's brought up a billion times how she could connect with everyone. And that's what made her such an amazing storyteller. But she empathized a lot and that kind of overwhelmed her. Yeah. And like now that I'm here in California, I think just because it's still so fresh in my mind, I think after a while, I won't necessarily feel as strongly about it as I do right now. Like a few weekends ago, I was right outside of Visalia and I was like, oh my gosh. And I go to Ventura to the beach and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just feel connected almost. But I'm hoping, like I said, once this novelty wears off of reading the book, I don't want to think about him all the time. (laughs) You live in a shit show of a state (laughs) not only for murders dude the 70s in california were horrific like Mm -hmm. awful i don't yeah it was just a free-for-all but then let's take in what's happening right now in your natural wildlife out there your fire is going everywhere you got earthquakes you got mudslides you live in a dangerous place sarah i need you to move i need you to come back home (laughs) (laughs) but no for real it is a crazy state um in general but it's a beautiful state but i wish i could explain what the outside looked like today because of the smoke it was the eeriest feeling day because the sun was burning bright orange but it was covered with smoke and overcast so it just was the like, creepiest looking thing in the world a horror like an apocalypse movie. yeah exactly so yes it's a it's a crazy state but i'm sure it's beautiful i love that it's beautiful congratulations i would never fucking live there and i would like you to come back home to me so on these ride alongs she's taken they cover they cover so many areas she really yeah. gets into the detective work in this side of the book but she also talks about the male victims which I think is important, even though it sounds like, I mean, the rapes were women, and that definitely obviously takes a huge toll on the women, but she talks about how that they were born in the 40s and 50s and how they were a generation for whom therapy was mostly an alien concept, and they're very rigid in their roles of gender, which is bullshit yes. now, but they were raised where the yeah. men protect, and they fight, and they take care of their wives, and Right. They're looked down upon if they have like too many feelings or too many emotions. That's what it says. It says detectives ask the women how they were feeling and the men what they heard or saw. Like they asked for more of the facts. facts. Yeah. And even in the um, docuseries, only one couple stays together that this happened to. Oh, wow. He says to her or she said she mentioned that she made peace with it a long time ago, but she had asked him after she came from the, from the hospital, if he wanted to know what happened. And he says, I don't want to know what happened. I just want to move forward. He like instantly shuts it down. And at first when I saw it, right. I was like, wow, what an asshole. But right. reading Michelle's thoughts on it, it really was a failure to him. And it really was a violation of its own right to him. Yeah, definitely. Because like you said, obviously these women are being sexually assaulted. And so it's, it's different, but these men were violated too in a different way, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't feel scared and they shouldn't. But like you said, the time that they were living in, it wasn't, it wasn't okay to feel like upset. And yeah, like, how are you feeling? Do you feel okay? They didn't care about the how men were emotionally. And there was one instance, I remember, maybe it's the same couple, I'm not sure. Was it for like an interview? I don't really remember, but they were talking to the husband and they wanted to talk more about oh, yeah, no. the attack. And he was like, no, she doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. And then come to find out years later, it was she was actually she was okay fine to talk about it. it yeah. yeah, she was like, he wasn't. He didn't want to talk about it. Right, and I um, think- It was um, too hard for him. Just as much- as you have to respect the women's process and how they deal with it and let it in their own way you have to respect the men's and i mean that's definitely toxic masculinity where they have yeah fear to just express what they're going through yeah but they don't know any better so because i can't imagine being tied up helpless in the bedroom and hearing my significant other the person i love 
being so viciously attacked in the room and like knowing that you can't do anything about it or she could die, you could die, both of you could die. So I can't imagine that fear. I would 100% be thinking that I wished it was me rather than them. Oh, for sure. And for sure. You can't change that. You can't change that it happened to you. And then you can't change that it happened to her. So I guess like moving on is the right way. But I feel like if you don't deal with that, then exactly. You do have to deal with it one way or another. That was a big theme in the 70s. Anyways, this is perfect. I'll just talk about what a shithead he is now. That was a big thing in the 70s. Anyways, because like we just said, California in the 70s is shitty. But a lot of these victims were told, even by their family, don't talk about it. Don't, you know, don't bring it up. Some of them said that the first time they ever talked about it was to other victims after, like in the 2000s. When stuff was right. coming up, there was an article with one victim who told her side of the story, and then somehow another victim got connected through the newspaper to her, and like they started talking about it. But she said, "I didn't think I was ever going to hear a victim speak up and tell their side of the story because we were all told not to talk about it, not to bring it up, just get over it, move uh-huh. past it. It just happens, move past it." And I think when we're telling, we're talking about telling people how to react. Uh, that brings us to Kathy and Larry Crompton, who I think yeah. is just an utter bag of dicks. Like, oh my god, yes. He, I'm not taking away whatever good stuff he did. Good for you, Larry. Bravo. Clap your hands. Great. But when Larry wrote his book, which was the book that got Michelle, you know, kind of into it. When Larry wrote his book, there was a victim, Kathy, who he talks about how he didn't like the way she handled questions. And he didn't like, he eventually says, like, I feel bad for her husband and son. Who the fuck does that to a rape victim? Yeah. Who cares? You can't, you have absolutely no space, no right to say how anyone should react. I don't care if the exact thing minute by minute happened to you. You still don't get to say, and it didn't. No, exactly. You still don't get to say how someone else deals with it. So do not be a bag of dicks and tell them how it should be, especially in a time, in an era where it's already being swept under the rug. It's already being pushed off and not taken as seriously. And I truly believe a part of why this case didn't get solved in the 50 times there was rapes was because it was just rapes. He only murdered, eventually we find out 12 times, but he only murdered 10 times where they were fucking looking at it and setting up all this stuff to try and catch him. He raped 50 times. And I truly believe the atmosphere and the blase attitude towards rape and rape victims allowed him to keep going. And it just yeah pisses me off. So Larry No, Compton, I agree. Not that you will ever hear this. I dislike you a whole fucking lot. Don't victim shame. It's not okay. No. But Kathy actually ends up being a huge part because she shut down. She wouldn't fucking talk to anybody about anything. Right. Until Paul Holes talked to her because he, he seems like he has that nice, easygoing way yeah. about it. Yeah. Until Paul Holes talked to her and she actually brought up um, that they were kind of looking at one point, they were looking at the connection between the male victims and the GSK because sometimes he wasn't interested in the rapes really. And Kathy said that he kind of recognized um, the voice. voice. So yeah. Yeah. So in some cases, and Kathy says that it seems like the rape was kind of an afterthought. He wasn't really into it, which is weird thing to fucking say, but like, I totally understand it. But it seems like he was getting back at the men for something, taking that right. sense of security away from them and taking, you know, something that they can never get back from their wife, which just seems like a fucking egotistical dick thing that he would probably do. Oh, that is completely jealousy. And, oh, you you think you're better. Even if these men never thought they were better, but in his mind... Oh, I'll show some, you. I can of. picture like some like imaginary slight that they did. And he's like, well, I'm going to give right. it to you for that. Mm-hmm. I'm petty, but never in my wildest dreams would I be that level of petty. Oh, oh hell no. It's a whole other level. That is way too extreme. <sighs> so we're continuing on with tour. Um, and let's talk about the homework. Oh, the what it, what is it called? Homework evidence. That's it. Yeah. The homework I was trying evidence. to think of the second word. I couldn't think of evidence. <laughs> <laughs> I was like the homework paper. What's I'm that, like, no, what's that's that called? Your honor. I'd thing? like to enter into what? What is it? I'd like to enter into. 
<laughs> yes, the homework evidence. Yeah, I thought the homework evidence was really cool. Because it's weird, make a random mix. Go for it. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's exactly what I was going to say because it is random. Um, do we actually even know if it's connected at all or is it still just speculation? I don't even know. That's a good question. I don't know that it is, but like in what other... Why would why would the map be there would be my question. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very like... I'm still confused on why. So in the homework evidence... It's, yeah, let's talk about it before we... <laughs> in the homework evidence, it's uh, they describe a poorly written essay on General Custard, who Sarah once got mixed up with General yes. Mustard. Um, Colonel Mustard. Oh, Colonel, Colonel Mustard. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Uh, rant about his sixth grade teacher a hand-drawn map and on the back of the map they find um years later when Paul Holes is looking at no one fucking notes this yeah they have it two words melanie and punishment and i did look up i can't find any melanies like associated with him right Um, but why would that all be why do you think that would all be together it's really weird but it's also california there's litter so yeah, but in what circumstances? Does have? <laughs> like, no, it's the most random pieces of the map makes litter. sense, obviously, because it it says in the book like it looks like he uh, had some map drawing skills, like he had some knowledge right. drawing the maps. So the and map I read somewhere, I don't know if it was on a website or if it was in the book. I really don't remember, and I don't have it written. It's just in my mind that uh, someone's. Because they tried to figure out where this area was of this map that he had drawn. And someone speculated that maybe it was his perfect idea of a place to attack. So I must have read that on a website if you don't remember that. That's cool. But they were were saying, okay, yeah, maybe it's the perfect type area to commit his So it didn't look anything like Danville, the places he hit in Danville? Because that's where they found the homework. I guess they couldn't really figure out where any of it actually was. Huh. So I want to know that. I would like an interview with the um, Golden State Killer at some point. Not really. Yes. All this creepy face. But (laughs) I want to. It still would be kind of cool, though. I want to list and someone braver than me. So apparently that's you because you're volunteering for it. I want to list and someone braver. Oh, if he was like, I'll do it. I would go for you, girl. I would go. You are insane, and that's why we are best friends, because you will do the shit I will not. I can't, I can't, I start to cry when I'm mad fighting with my husband, even though I know I have a valid clear point. I would probably just get in front of this man and burst out in tears, and then he would probably take But I think if I had the list that you wrote of things you wanted to know, I would do better, because then I'm not reading, I'm not thinking of my own things. I have someone else's work, so I wouldn't feel the pressure. That's smart. That's a good. All right. So, but, we have this yeah. Homework, yeah. So, this homework, homework evidence, which is found at a railway track. And it's just another weird thing that's kind of in the mix, but you don't know. Michelle talks about the uncertainty of weight of every clue, which I think is a huge statement. You don't know what's going to help or hurt, or if it's, is this really a thing, or is this, isn't this really a thing? The homework's like that. And we kind of see that with the fucking helicopter theory is this really a yeah thing? oh gosh i think it's the most sound theory of <laughs> all the theories I absolutely um, live breathing die paul holes but paul holes i don't understand this theory so go, i think know. maybe they were just so they had no other rambled um they had to think of this crazy thing so paul holes believed that maybe just maybe our golden state killer had a helicopter. Do you know how expensive helicopters are? I'm saying probably even still back in the 70s. To have a helicopter and then to be able to fuel a helicopter. And you have to know how to drive a helicopter. And he's saying this because there are two towns where he hit kind of in a weird pattern. Um, Yes. But one of them seemed more spur of the moment. It was the only apartment building he ever did. Yes. It seemed like he didn't have his usual kit with him. And that happened in then what, 22 hours later, he hit back in, in the town that he had hit right before that one. Right. So he was going between Modesto and Davis. And this is college there. the same county. So it does not take a helicopter to get around one county. I don't care how big California is. It doesn't take a helicopter to get out. There's a school out there, right? So I think maybe like. Yeah, yeah UC Davis. 
Yeah, maybe he had something to do out there or family had something to do out there. And he went and they do talk about how a lot of killers or rapists don't plan it, like plan their victims. Well, you see Davis is not far outside of Sacramento. So who who knows? Modesto's a little bit more south of Enough Sacramento. Enough that you would need a helicopter? No. Okay. In in the book, it tells you they're 110 miles from one another. And so we what, the math, it's less than two hours if you're going 60 miles per hour. Right, and there are a shit ton of fucking highways and interstates in California. A cr- yes, a freaking crap ton that you hop on and it takes you right from Modesto to UC Davis. I mean, I guess it depends on the lay of the land back then. Maybe it would, but it still would take less than twenty-two yeah, hours. Yeah, it would. You, it's not something you couldn't do in a full day. No, exactly. If you really wanted to do it. It's not something you couldn't do in a full day. It's just even if it took to eight do. hours, you could do that. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's it's like I can go from here to San Francisco in six hours. I could still do that. I wouldn't need a helicopter. It's always so weird to me because six hours from here is literally like almost reaching Virginia. <laughs> You're in another state. I'm in another I'm in city. I'm in two other states. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Here, yeah, yeah. I'm just in another city. And then there's still probably like eight more hours on top of that one <laughs> to get out of California. California. I really don't know how much from San Francisco to the top of California, but I'm assuming it's probably quite a few hours still. That's insane to me. And, but another reason they believed... This helicopter, well, I don't know that he necessarily actually believed it or just yeah, wanted to. Yeah, I think he to. was kind of spitballing it, I just guess. Just spitballing. Yeah, mm-hmm. completely. But, but one of the, I don't know, he talked about it being near like an airport, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. so there was a time where a cab driver picked up a man near or at the airport and then dropped him off in a weird location. And he, he had very little luggage with him. So it was kind of like, what are you right. doing? Why are you going here? So there was that account to kind of link him. And then I guess one of the houses in the other town was if you go a certain way, it leads you to like a private airstrip, right? That's right. Yeah. Because he was saying that they had no record of people right, flying in and out. Fly, you would pretty yeah. much go This is undetected. pre-9-11 where nothing is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Air traffic is not. Really fucking weird. Yeah. So it was just another, oh, well, he could do that undetected. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Helicopter is kind of hard to go undetected. Am I'm I? not here for it. I'm here for Paul Holes. I'm not here for the helicopter theory. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty much been disproven. I don't believe uh, the caught man has ever owned a helicopter. But. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about my favorite part of this chapter. Do you know what that is? Is it the okay, one? Maybe not my favorite. Well, of this chapter. Yeah, of this section. Oh, it's- this section. Got you. It's the Walnut Creek Bermuda Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle, yeah. Paul's calls Walnut Creek, this neighborhood, the Bermuda Triangle. Um, because so much weird shit happens in this neighborhood. And I need a whole book of just the stuff that happens in this neighborhood. Are you ready for yeah. it? Yeah. So he says we have a serial killer attack, a missing girl, another serial killer attack, a housewife was strangled and her panties were torn off. And all of this is on top of two. He comes back and hits it twice. Twice, yes. So I guess at this time he's... And he, the not only did he go back and hit it twice, he parked his car. He it, he says it's a big fuck you to the cops because he... Like, they, is, he just parked it right in the same spot. Yeah, he, same, same house. And it's like... After yeah, they were within like 100 yards of each other. The, the house that kept he coming attacked. back. Yeah, and this poor 13-year-old girl, because one of them was a fucking child, Gosh, yeah. uh, asked yeah. the police officer if he ever comes back, and the police officer says no, because, you know, he doesn't. But that does not to say he doesn't come back in the same neighborhood, because we know he does that. But right. it just seemed like, because there's not a whole lot on his vehicles. Like, there's very few traces on things like he could have been driving. Right. So it's weird that he would park his car so close to the scene yeah because he doesn't yeah. he normally gets on a bike he normally jacks bikes rides them mm-hmm. so right i don't know what's right different. mostly like foot traffic yeah michelle writes this as him like being antagonistic towards 
the cops. Which it definitely has to be in my mind because you would think that I'm sure with everything going on, it was maybe hard for them to just, oh, we're going to just focus right here in this 100 yard meter of where he's already attacked. But it's just crazy to me because it's just so blatant and it's just so in your face. And so it really, to I me, does have to be. I think he got brave as fuck, you know? Yeah. At this point. Right. He super He brave. had, I don't think it was in this instance, but I remember they wrote about him actually calling the police oh, department yeah, and called, saying, yeah. that was one of the- you're not going to, I'm attacking tonight. You're never going to catch me. Mm-hmm. And he did actually attack that night. Fucks to give with this stuff because, like I said, I think this is... We're still in the rape period in this time period. Um, This is when he was only raping, not murdering. So I don't think they put as much effort into it. That's very true. That's a good point. pushing to see how far he could take it with the cops. That's very true. Um, And when when she was describing the neighborhood in Walnut Creek, Rancho San Miguel, it was just kind of, I was trying to picture it in my mind. What do you mean? Because she was explaining how there was like the walkways within the houses and how there was lots of like glass. And I was picturing almost like a commune. Right. A very close, close. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, it was. Because so in my mind, I'm like, I knew it wasn't a commune, but that's just kept what I kept picturing the way. No, it did sound like it's described in in their conversation. They both mention how close the houses are, how right easy it is for him to get around on foot because of how close it is. Yeah, which that's actually a really common thing. Um, when I was living at my in-laws house, I pretty much could just like reach out Touch, and yeah, be touching okay. the neighbors. So it's not really that hard to imagine. I think just the description of it, it was, I was like, hmm, this sounds like a commune. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, I think it's the community that they um, built around it and the guy who built exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, his- uh, it was an actual community. Yeah. So two things, because this is more towards the detective. This part's more towards the detective side. So two things that I think really lended to that. And you're going to be surprised by my first one because I said I don't fucking understand it. Um, the cufflink. Remember oh, how I did yeah. It? I said I don't understand it, but now I've been thinking about it and I get it. It's to show Michelle's detective side. That's, That's why true. it fits in this section because it shows how far she looks up these cufflinks. She orders them, sends them to her house, not to her a, own home. Yeah, not yeah. to the um, post office box. She tracks them down not to the pays, police department. Yeah, like she sends she them pays to her extra home. to have them shipped to her house, and eventually ends up turning them over. Like she, she only pursued this as a way to, um, you know, get evidence. She had no goal in keeping it or like using it as a trade or whatever. She literally handed it over to Larry Poole. Yeah. Um, but I think it's in here because it shows how far her investigation. Was That's really true. Us. That's really true. And it's something I didn't get on my first read of it, but I definitely got it on my second. I was like, why is this here? Not back in the beginning when they mentioned the couple. They talk about it. Yeah. But I think it's because it shows her willingness to go that far, how deep into this she was. And then my second thing that I found super interesting investigation-wise was her interview with uh, Fred Roy, which was another thing that I wasn't sure when I started reading it, why it was in there. Do you remember? I don't even know if I remember that now. So it was in there basically because he does this thing where she's interviewing him, questioning him about the guys he's interviewed and how they're peeping toms. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he switches instantly. He goes into, she's like, how do you get them to talk? That's Yeah. He switches and uh, changes it himself. And he's like, you know, everyone's always wanted to creep around and look in windows. It's okay. Like he switches into that investment. Yeah. And just as easily he slides out after she like agrees. She's mesmerized by him. She agrees. She's like, yeah, of course. Like, sure. And he switches out. Yeah. And he's like, that's how I do it. And I thought that was a that's- good a good look on people who do do uh, we talk a lot of shit about cops and I probably won't stop talking shit about the bad cops but the good ones really alter who they are or their way of life to bring justice to these people right right so I that's love- very true I know and that was yeah that must be some good skills but it's also kind of like scary that people could do that uh absolutely I think it's like what we talked about with the um 
the DNA guy, the uh, cat on the table where he dissects the cat on the table. Oh, yeah. How like a serial killer that is. That yeah. dynamic is very hand-in-hand, uh, hand, but I think it's the intention behind it. Behind it. That's so yeah. true. Like, but, if you're actually using it for good. Yeah. Then you could actually be making a difference I because think the problem obviously is too many who who don't slip into this and never slip back out. Yeah. Uh, versus the ones who stay good and do good work. So that's a- yeah, good point. Yeah, and then my when Michelle talks about um, this thing, which I think is interesting, and I think probably happens in all of the cases. And I want to hear your whole take on it. Is okay. The one. Okay. Well, for one. I love that it's called the one because one, it sounds almost romantic. Oh, it when you does. Think of the one. There's so a it's weird parallel. This, a very weird parallel. Yeah. So when you like think about it like that, it's like, oh, the one. But in this case, it's the one. But I just, yeah, like that weird parallel. But it's also funny because as you're reading it, it's, the one and then the chapter ends and it's like he's not the one and then it goes to the next person that they believe is the one and just it just shows how one they really had almost no clue at all who this which they really didn't when you think about it they had little to no evidence of who this man was but also just how I don't know how much also maybe they did have because they still were trying really hard I think they had like a insight into his mind and not right. the physicalness of it. Yeah. So they have plenty of but suspects who fit mentally. Exactly. Behaviorally. Right. Not actually DNA. Exactly. Because they had some physical descriptions and DNA wasn't as renowned. Is that the word I'm looking for? Advanced. Yeah. I think that's better. I think um, renowned is As it is today. <laughs> <laughs> but anywho, one of the ones that they talk about is um, this man called Jim, Jim, right? Jim Walters. Yeah, Jim Walters, Paul Holes. He's Paul Holes. Paul Holes, yes. This is who Paul Holes had his mindset on for a while because he was the same height, the same weight. He matched the physical description really well. He was also arrested in Danville. Yeah, he was arrested Which, a mile from one of the crime scenes. Well, exactly. At like a random hour. It was at like yeah, four he in the said morning. He was driving home and pulled over to uh, go to sleep, but they worked it out where it, he followed his route home. That's not the route he would have taken to stop taken, off right? go to sleep. So exactly. Really weird. And it also seemed like a spot that somebody who might have been traveling to commit a crime would stop at to like leave the area kind of thing and they just yeah it just seemed very suspicious yeah and uh i thought it was weird how he wouldn't let his picture be taken they literally had to like oh yeah that's right because he was pretty much he was chill willing to cooperate yeah 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 answer these questions and this is what was happening yeah and then as soon as they go to take his picture that definitely says to me he did something that someone can. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah, they get. Also, home. that is in. If you, I don't know if he really did. I shouldn't say I'm sure he did because I don't want to ruin anyone's life. <laughs> <laughs> dead though. He's dead though. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's okay. Dead. Uh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, then he can't even defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about wait a minute. But anywho, keep to ourselves. Okay. But anywho. <laughs> um. No, but he was eventually they got his DNA test and it didn't fit the typing, yeah. which is all they had back then to uh, eliminate suspects. But Hall, Hall, Paul Holes <laughs> does not trust this because he is just on the fucking case. Yeah. He does not trust this and he wants to track down this guy just later because he just yeah. like he could fit the type. Um, well, because there was so much and I can like, as I was reading it, I totally understood yeah. why Paul Hulse, he lived in the area. Um, he had a male teacher in the sixth grade, which is something in the homework evidence. Right, And he looked up. Yeah. And this teacher actually did say the sentences that he. Mentioned yeah. He would assign grade. sentences as a punishment and something else that um, he had a scar on his face. 
And because he was in a car accident and victim seven of the East area rapist said that as she was being attacked, the EAR said something had happened to his face. And so it was like, hmm, maybe something really did. Because as we kind of heard from different victims, he would sometimes say things that weren't always necessarily true. Right. But there was just another thing. Something like, to go maybe. on. That's a, exactly the weight of evidence again. Like, what do we take? Um, right. But to your point, uh, he did fit it so much. Paul Hole says he wasn't the ear, but I could tell you he was the ear's shadow. So basically he's saying, like, he didn't commit these crimes, but there's definitely, it's in him to do other things. Yeah. Um, eventually right. he tracks him down after this weird situation where the guy pretends to be his brother to get oh yes brother it's this weird thing and then he uh, eventually tracks him down and he gets his dna and runs it and it's not yeah yeah it's not a match that disappointment yeah that like that high and then the crash from it. yeah the high exactly i found this guy if i i it's got to be the guy i know it i can crack this and then that crash of adrenaline when it's not that disappointing letdown Especially as we're because we go, there's a few other people that they think are the one. And but as I was like I said, as I was reading this, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is also good on paper. It's perfect. It, it checks every. Yeah. Yeah. Like pretty much ex- obviously, except for back then when he wasn't what they found out he wasn't like the non-secretor or whatever. Right. And or he was a secretor and that wasn't one secretor. Yeah. Um, so like, but everything else, and that's exactly why Paul Holes wanted to go back and check later on because he was like, that's really the only piece that doesn't fit. Right. So to have every other piece fit, it's like, I don't think I would be able to cross him off my list either. No. Back then, especially. How big, so to go back to your point on how they knew this guy, but didn't know this guy, uh, Paul Haynes, who ends up finishing the book, he had a 118-page document of lists of suspects. And then Michelle, when she died and they caught him, they searched her computer with this guy's name, didn't find anything. So yeah, they had no, they had no mention of him. I mean, no, maybe he was exactly. there somewhere, but there's just so much they knew about him uh, profile-wise, but not the yeah. physical, actual man. Exactly. So I exactly. see what you're saying. Like, this guy profile-wise could be the same person, but physically, actually, he was. But exactly. And then the biggest thing is the DNA, because especially as it became more advanced, if your DNA doesn't match, then it's right. not then it's you. It's not you. Right. And Especially with the amount of DNA from the amount of crime scenes that they had. It exactly. Was just like one crime scene where the in the one there was a suspect that they had. Um, yeah. Where he the had fingerprint. Touched yeah. Yeah. He had touched something. So there was evidence that he was there, but it wasn't him. But it, so exactly. His DNA didn't match the many crime scenes, not just the one crime scene. Exactly. Then also, I think that another one that was really, what's the word, um, like intriguing, yeah, um, is Michelle's the one. And she finds her the one through an uh, anonymous tip. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it comes back to Bag of Dicks, Larry Crompton's book. Uh, <laughs> that's just his new name, I've decided. Um, he... This tipster mentions that he tracked the library checkouts, which is so That's interesting right. and right. crazy as shit. I guess because Larry Compton's book was self-published, it wasn't this huge book. So right, they didn't have many copies. Down, and, yeah, she yeah. narrowed down one in California was investigators like looking at the book or whatever, and then she gets this guy. Okay, so there was two that she wasn't sure. Um, who could have checked them out? There was one in Idaho and one in Nebraska. Got so you. There she goes and searches all of the fucking sex offenders around these areas for hours, and then she eventually yeah. comes back to Doug Fielder, and that's yeah. how she finds him. She connects the area, the sex offenders registry. She goes down this rabbit hole, and she's yeah. convinced that this guy everything matches for him. And really, like, what drew her to him, she said that when she saw the picture, it, like, spoke to her. Right. This is the guy. As, like, Again, when she has saw the to picture. be an incredible high to then 
Yeah. Um, she sends him to pool and I guess they uh, eliminated him somehow through DNA and CODIS. His DNA was actually yeah. in CODIS sex offender, which kind of right. now seems like a thing, but I guess maybe back then didn't. And she says, for hours, I'd felt as if I was hurtling down the street with nothing in my way, like catching a series of green lights. Now the transmission had just fallen out. So she stalls. And that's that, like, slam on your brakes. Everything yeah. Fault. Right. Just cruising along. And then all of a sudden it just, you, you, you just stop. It just hits a dead end. Something I thought that was interesting about him though, was the fact that he was arrested in the late eighties. And it's something that they talk about because as we know, the golden state killers crime stop in 1986. So that would explain it. Yeah. That could explain a missing, like that link that like they didn't have, like, why did this man, he was either dead they believed he was either like dead, he got married, or he got arrested. But in actuality, I mean, he had already been married. He'd already in in real so life. like none of those we things that, happened. Isn't that scary as shit? Yeah, that's scary as shit to me. The things that they rely on to profile these guys to catch them aren't always a hundred percent. Aren't and to exactly. me that takes away like a sense of security, like everything right you don't know no exactly especially like when i watch criminal minds and they profile these guys and they have it to like a tea tea, and sometimes it's half the tea and they just have to change the little (laughs) end the other end of it that's so true they they have it they have it all and everything they say is exactly correct and then yeah it takes the way it's that not it's not always you. exactly correct yeah. because yeah like we said we er- like he had already been married yeah and he, throughout he didn't go these. to jail so there's no he didn't go to jail and no he clearly didn't die jail. but he i did think die. that was like well, a good yeah a good a guess. good yes exactly but yeah, yeah. and then so, like we said it wasn't him let's bring it to an even sadder point, a more personal point for Michelle, and kind of the end of our section of part two, which is Los Angeles 2014. And when I tell you that I cried like a fucking baby when I read this, I am not exaggerating. This part was, it was hard. It was, it was so eye-opening. Yeah. I needed it. I really needed it. In a weird way, I needed to connect back with Michelle. Yeah. It was a lot of heavy stuff. And and even though it's sad. Not that this isn't heavy. No, it it's is. It's just different. <laughs> it's sad, but it's also beautiful. So I think it, it kind of, it brings something. Like you said, better. it brings it back to her mm-hmm. for a little bit, which is really nice. So we're in Los Angeles 2014 with Michelle and Patton, and we're at their anniversary dinner. Um, and he's basically like trying to cheer her up because she hasn't found this guy yet. And he's just telling yeah. her, encouraging her, keep pushing, keep pushing. And he says something uh, to her that's kind of sets her off, makes her uncomfortable. Is that she has like this is just one guy in your future work. Like there's going to be more guys after this. You're going to get it and solve it. And then she's like, "Don't say that. I only want it to be him. I only want one yeah. of these guys." Because she's already feeling so drained and so like right. She understands exhausted. how much this has taken a toll on her. Yeah. She's like, I don't want that to happen again. <laughs> and that's really uh, emphasized in the gift that Patton gives yeah. her, which is her article professionally bound really beautifully and um, a place for like her, her interview DVD and her case notes and stuff, just this really thoughtful, well-made gift yeah, yeah. that he has a pattern of doing. He made a, he had um, fuck. the pictures that yeah, I the always, pictures. Yeah. Uh, watercolors of her facing yeah. off against really notorious uh, killers or villains, the Zodiac Killer, D.B. Cooper, and then the ear who's faceless in these pictures. I want to see the pictures, honestly. But he's notorious for all, all holidays, giving her thoughtful, amazing gifts. And she says, uh, I realized later that for two years in a row, my wedding anniversary gift has been in some way or another about the ear. So it just says how much has taken over her life yeah right but, that the day you're supposed to celebrate your like love and marriage it's still somehow right, and that comes back to him and i think it's it's not just that she somehow brings it back it's that other people see that this is one oh of for the sure most important things to her yeah 
Especially the man who knows her probably the best. Right. This is the man she's waking up at three o'clock in the morning with a lead, you know, like I think about it, like with my kids, like when it comes to be their holidays or birthdays, you kind of focus on what's happening in their life and get them things around that. Like right now, Layton's obsessed with Fortnite. So his gifts will be around Fortnite. If that says something that the gift that someone thinks would make you happy is about the serial killer. Yeah. Because you're that's devoting so, so much but she says, <sighs> but oh, yeah, this. yeah, she says, but that's not even the most telling sign of how much he's come to dominate my life. That would be for the fact that I've forgotten to get patent as much as a card. Ah! <sighs> <sighs> and you can hear <sighs> herself being let down in those. In, yes. In that like little paragraph you can see how yeah. disappointed she is with herself oh yeah I felt that disappointment I felt that guilt I just like you said in those just few words I felt it all and I think that speaks like to the one her emotions but to the writer that she is that she can convey that in a few sentences um, yeah it was really one of the most of my favorite things about reading this book was how she was able to craft things yeah and I think that it's beautiful, too, that she didn't try to hide any of this. Right. The um, good, bad, the ugly. The, exactly. Um, she knew she fucked up and she wasn't. She's like, yeah, sometimes I'm not always the best. And there's something this relatable is life. about the humility of it. And she exactly. lays it out there. Exactly. Very, very relatable. People nope. forget anniversaries. It's okay. Right. Like, yeah, it's just that it's such an intense time for her. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah. I'm just, that's no, what I mean. It just normal, makes it. I never, ever remember my wedding anniversary until the day before. And we don't do gifts and stuff like that. Cause yeah. Because it's just not those. Kyle and I don't either. But yeah, I if I if we did value that, because it seems like Patton, obviously, with these amazing gifts, does value right, that. It's and I'm sure they... she does too. But she is drop the ball and she can tell and yeah she can feel it and you can feel yeah. it through her words exactly which brings us that to the very last part the very very end of um, this part it's just an editor's note it ends with an editor's note michelle mcnamara died on april 21st 2016 which is simple <sighs> but it cuts you it does there's no other way to describe it it's just so sad um and i think yeah in the book, uh, not to get ahead, but they mention it briefly um, in the after, not the afterward, but uh, in the appendix or some something at the very end of the book. They mentioned that it's um, diagnosed as undiagnosed heart disease. Oh, that's right. But then they also say she took a mix of drugs. Right. She was on a mixture. So they don't gloss completely over it. They don't sugarcoat it, but it's not completely mentioned. And I don't know how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? I understand why I don't think they wanted to put the focus on that. I knew you were going to say that. I knew when um, I thought about it earlier, I knew you were going to say that. But. Just because I feel like it could take away right. from the book, from her writing. Um, I don't think that's what they wanted. I don't think they wanted to tarnish her memory. And yeah, but don't you think, I guess, yes, I could see it as a tarnishment, but I can also see it as like just what we were talking about, a uh, uh, humility to her. Like, Oh, a, and a I was, li- that's literally the next point I was going to say. That's a very real struggle that so many people face. Um, it's not uncommon. It's not unheard of. But I just think, I don't know. I feel like they might've thought that it might've taken the focus it's off. It interesting because in the docu series, um, Paul Haynes, who helps write the book, I said that like six times. I don't know why. But Paul, <laughs> wait, what's his name again? Did he help write the book? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Anyways, Paul Haynes, who helped wrote the book, he's one of the few people. Him and the social worker, who I think her name ends up being, I don't. I don't know. I don't want to say it and then it'd be wrong. Same. Um, Same here. <laughs> he's one of the few who say she was an addict. Like, yeah, as plain and clear as day. And he doesn't say it in a disrespectful way. He's just like, these are the facts. She was taking stuff to get up in the morning. She was taking stuff to go. And I'm not saying yeah. it was completely based on this, this book, why she became that way, but it was a large, I'm sure it didn't help. Yeah. And it was a large crutch for her. The drugs were a large crutch to, yeah, 
push this book along in this case. And she thought, you know, she can just get through it and she can push it along with these drugs and she can have more time with her family and she can. Right. After it's done, then I can, I don't need these. I won't need help going to sleep or I won't need help staying. I think that's a very human, but also a very addict way of think mentality. Like I'll just do one or I'll just get through this. Yeah. 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 I agree. Is where part two leaves us sad, heartbroken for Michelle. Yeah, and still kind of in this mind fuck of like what what's 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 happening. Yeah. So join us next time when we go into part 3 and try and figure out what the fuck is happening. Yeah, well we'll come to our conclusion so we hope you stick around here. <laughs>